Good morning. Welcome to the bridge. We are so glad you are here. We just baptized a bunch of people who have given their life to Christ. Can we just give it up one? Hey, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Life change, life change, and permanent life change. And when I mean permanent, I mean eternal life change can only happen through the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I hope you'll come to know him today in this service. He's here and he's available. Um, we do church a little different here, but it doesn't mean that the churches who do it different from us are wrong. Everybody just has a style. Everybody just has a way of worshiping that they enjoy and they fit into and they like. And we thank God for churches, any church, any denomination that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and the Word of God as truth. Can we give it up today for other churches? Yeah. Yes, sir. But I like coming to this church because y'all a little bit crazy. And I just fit right in some crazy, man. And uh, met some new people today. And right now they're a little scared. But we're glad they're here. And uh, we just welcome everybody to church today. Hey, did y'all get that information from that video? Because I, I need you to write all that down. And uh, so... Uh, if you didn't get it all, uh, we'll try to make that video available to you. Really good stuff. Thank God for our creative team. All right, we are in the fourth and final message on the uh, Noah series, Noah, the real truth. And uh, we are looking today, as we kind of wrap this thing up, at five life lessons from the life of Noah. Now, in every other message in this series, we have gone to the book of Genesis and just taken scripture from that story where it is recorded in uh, the Bible uh, for the very first time. Noah's mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, right in there, 9. Um, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, exactly, Moses. Was Moses here during the book of Genesis? No. So that shows us that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we believe the Bible is truth. So let's read from Hebrews, Hebrews 11. Have you guys uh, read from Hebrews 11 before? I call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, because in Hebrews 11, the writer, who I believe was Paul, it doesn't say it, but I, that's my personal opinion. Let me just tell you all about my opinion. Very humble, very humble, but extremely accurate. Okay, so I believe, Noah, I believe Noah was the author of Hebrews. No, I believe Paul was the author of Hebrews. And Paul says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just uh, refer to it that way. He just gives us a whole list of people who were people of great faith. He mentions Abel. I mean, that's pretty early in the Bible, isn't it? He mentions Abel. He mentions Enoch. He mentions Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He mentions Moses. He mentions Rahab. He mentions Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and Daniel and Samuel. And there's a lot more he could have mentioned, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to mention these. But in Hebrews 11:7, he mentions Noah. 
Noah's the third one in the list. So let's look at what he said. Now this is from the Amplified Bible. If you don't have an Amplified Bible in your library, you need one because it does a lot of the work for you. I like anything that does a lot of the work for me. Don't you? Amen. Can I get an amen from the guys out there? Amen. Prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned by God concerning events of which as yet there was no visible sign. Remember how we talked about Noah had never seen rain? Nobody had ever seen rain. And so there had been no visible sign. God told him it was coming. God told him something was coming that man had never seen before. And that was rain, which I would think would take more faith. I mean, you know, if God goes, hey, Noah, rain is coming. And he goes, oh, wow. What's rain? And it might have been something like that. Uh, Visible sign. I love the next two words. Noah did what? He took heed. That means he did it. It means he heard God and acted on what he heard. Everybody in here ought to be praying, Lord, teach me, help me to always take heed when you speak. He took heed, and I love the next word, and what? Not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. Diligently, again, I say this to you guys all the time. I'm going to keep reminding you. If you want to do a great word study, if you want to dig deeper in the Bible, you want to do a great word study, do a word study of the word wholehearted or wholeheartedness in the Bible. It is a very inspiring study that will increase your faith. So he, he, he did what he did for God. He did it how and how. Now, that carries with it the idea of awe, A-W-E. He was in awe of God. So that carries with it, that word reverently right there carries with it the idea of worship. Worship. So, this is really important. Doing, taking heed of what God has said to you, which actually means doing, acting on what God has said to you. When you act When you act on what God has said to you, you, it is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. When you drove up this morning and people were in the parking lot waving and being friendly, that was an act of worship. When you turned in this morning and looked over to the left and saw that young man in that bus because we got a remote parking area and we really, really just think people who park there are so awesome and the bus runs back up here. And uh, he was sitting in that bus, and it does not have air conditioning. Well, it has like 80-30 air conditioning, or maybe 30-30 air conditioning, 30 windows at 30 miles an hour. But uh, some of you will get that later. Actually, I'm not sure I get it. But diligently, (laughs) diligently, and worshipful, when he served, when he was driving that bus this morning, he was, come on, worshiping. You don't just worship in here with the awesome music and the lights and all of that. Worship happens when you serve, when you bless others, when you take a just because card at McDonald's 
and you pay for your meal in the window and you pay for the person behind you and you tell them to give that just because card to the person behind you and tell them their meal's taken care of. Again, if you're in that situation and there are a van full of painters behind you, you might want to get the one behind them. I'm just saying. It's according to where you are, you know what I'm saying? Where your budget is. But serve, serve, serve. Look for ways to serve. Head on swivel. Head on swivel. You guys play football? You remember head on swivel? You know, I played tailback. Every time I ran on the field, coach said, get your tailback on the bench. So I'm, but I went to practice. And he would say, Hardison. And the tone of his voice had the sense of no hope, Hardison. Hardison, you stand here. This is your area. If the ball comes through here, you get him. You get him. You get him. You get him. You put him on the ground. However, Hardison, are you looking at me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If he runs that way with the ball, don't keep standing here. Keep your head on swivel. If you see him running that way with the ball, you go there. Everybody who comes to church at the bridge, I want you to own it. I want you to own it. If you drive up and there's trash, pick it up. If you drive up and there's somebody, there's a mom whose husband just got deployed and she's got three kids and a stroller, go over there and help her. Come on. Help her. Serve. And when you do, that smells good in the nostrils of God. It is worship to God when you help somebody and bless somebody. And it is really, really, really high worship when you do it and they don't care or appreciate it. Because here's what you want to do when it's like that. You don't want to serve them. So when you serve them anyway... God goes, I liked it when they liked it, but I even like it more when they don't like it. Are y'all with me on that? When you serve, no matter what the attitude, no matter what the attitude of the person receiving your service, and you serve anyway with joy and happiness, and they're murmur, 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 or whatever they're doing, or they don't even appreciate it, don't worry about that. You didn't do it for them first. You did it for him first. For him first. And look, amen. And when people see Jesus in you, when they see you being Jesus, they will let you talk to them about Jesus eventually. That's why here at the bridge, we don't start off talking to you about Jesus if we're out doing an outreach. We go do an outreach to serve you and be Jesus. And when a heart has been hurt and a heart is hard, and they find out, and look, it may take a dozen times serving them, but after a while, they're going to start trusting you and believing in you, and their heart will begin to open up, and you'll be able to tell them about Jesus. But if you start off telling them about Jesus, they're going to go, that guy wants something, that gal wants something. Next thing you know, they're going to want money. Don't start out asking, start out giving, serving. And the people said, so he did it when he took heed to what God called him to do. When he was building that ark, I mean, when he was taking the hammer and beating those pegs in, and when he was... Man, can you imagine putting that pitch everywhere and what that was like and smelled like? And uh, when he was doing that, it was an act of worship. 
to God. Matter of fact, can I just tell you all something? Can I just tell you a little secret? You know something that really aggravates me? Um, what do they call it, a pet peeve? Is people who worship in here, but we can't get them to worship out there. Did I, that's, I, said, I said that out loud. Oh, they want to worship in here, but they don't have time to serve anybody. They don't have time to be a blessing to anybody. But up in here, they all spiritual up in here. <laughs> diligently and reverently. What did he do diligently and reverently? Construct and, and what? For the deliverance of who? Starts with your house, man. That's a whole other sermon right there. Five things. Number one, we're go, we learned from the life of Moses. Number one, God's going to ask you to do things that seem impossible. He's going to ask you to serve people that seem impossible to serve. He's going to ask you to love people that seem impossible to love. He's going to ask you to forgive people who have cut you to the bone. He's going to ask you to do things that are impossible. He's going to ask you to serve him in a way you never thought he would ask you to serve him. He's going to ask you to do things not that are in your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to do things that are outside your comfort zone. God's going to ask you to do things that unless you fully depend on him, you can't do it. You can't do it. God calls me and God calls you to do things all the time that are in our comfort zone that, that we're shaped for and, you know, we got the, we got the um, ability to do it, we got the personality to do it, we got all of the experience to do it, we got everything there is to do and that we love it when God asks us to do stuff like that, that's great and we're going to do those things, but sometimes... God's going to ask you to do something that you're going to say, without God, I could never do this. And here's what you're probably going to do in the beginning because it's just natural. This can't be God. Because I don't think God would ever ask me to do that. Now, if you feel like God has asked you to sing, we will tell you if that was God or not. <laughs> so we'll do a little audition. And we'll tell you that what you thought was God was too many collard greens right before you went to bed. <laughs> All right? So he's going to ask you to do things that are impossible. Nobody had ever seen rain before. No, a boat hundreds of miles from the closest water. A boat that it would take an ocean to float. And they're hundreds of miles from any water even similar to that kind of water. That's some faith right there. The Bible says Noah was prompted by faith to obey God. You remember um, Peter in the Bible, he often said the wrong thing. Here's something you might want to put down in your notes. A lot of people don't know this. His last name was Hardison, Peter Hardison. A lot of people don't know that because he often had his foot in his mouth <laughs> rather than on the ground. Peter often said the wrong thing. Peter was no doubt ADD, type A personality, just jumped before he thought. You know, he's the one that cut the soldier's ear off when they came to arrest, um, when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
But I want to tell y'all that he was not aiming for his ear. He was aiming for his head. Preachers just ain't that good with knives. Okay, so Jesus, you know, he picked that up, put it back on because he didn't want Peter to do that. Peter said the wrong thing. A lot of times when Jesus was washing feet, Peter said, don't wash my feet. I don't, I'm not worthy. And it wasn't about that. He totally missed the point there. And uh, then when Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part with me. And then Peter wanted a full bath. So he didn't get it. You know, he just missed it. But then there were times when Peter nailed it. Does this sound familiar? I mean, are you kind of like that too? Because I am. Sometimes I totally miss it. Sometimes, occasionally, I'll get it right. He said, who do men say that I am? And the disciples answered, some say you're some old prophet raised from the dead or you're this or that. And he said, but you are my followers. Who do you say? Because that's really what Jesus cares about, bridge family. I know what the world says about me. I know what they think about me, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, I mean, he wasn't, he, I mean, it just jumped out. We believe you are the Messiah. We believe you are the Christ. We believe you are the son of the living God. And Jesus, I th- Jesus knows all things, but I think even he was a little surprised at that. No, he wasn't. He said, Simon Barjona, son of John, No man revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed that to you. So sometimes Peter was on, sometimes he was off, just like the rest of us. And then you remember the time they were in the boat. Jesus had sent the disciples into the storm. And then Jesus came to them walking on the water. And it was Peter who said, and I love this, Matthew 14, 20, He said, or it was uh, Jesus who said, Matthew 14, 20, but right before Jesus told Peter to come, walk on the water, which would be pretty what? Impossible. Peter actually asked Jesus to ask him to do that. I mean, I just think that's awesome. He goes, hey, Jesus, first of all, it is Jesus out there. I mean, he wanted to make sure that was Jesus. So he's like, It is you, and Jesus, yes, and he said, bid me to come. Because he knew if Jesus told him to come, even though it was impossible, he knew Jesus would enable him to do it. Some of you are balking right now. You're holding back. God's asked you to do something. You're holding back because you don't think you can do it. Well, the fact is you probably can't, but it isn't you. He's going to do it through you. And Peter stepped out and walked on the water. And we always talk about, oh, Peter, you know, he walked, and then he sank, you know. We like to talk about that part. How many steps you taking on water? Anybody? I mean, he messed up. He took his eyes off Jesus. And we all know there's so much preaching in that. But he did walk on water because he understood two, he understood two things. If Jesus asked me to do it, even though it's impossible, If he asks me to do it, he will enable me to do it. And the people said. Number two. Well, let's go back. Let's go back. Uh, I'm not quite finished there. Let me just read a passage of Scripture to you. Um, Matter of fact, my notes are out of order here, so let me get them in order. Number two. Number two. I'm sorry. Uh, You are never, and this is so blessed to me. This, I just... I get emotional when I realize that I'm never going to be too old to get something done for Jesus. 
Can I get some white-haired people happy up in here today? I don't care what you've had stretched or cut off or dyed. If you old, you old, all right? Number two, you are never too old to build or accomplish something great for God. Noah was about 500 years old when God told him to build the ark. God said, Noah, and Noah said, yeah. (laughs) Who is it? Y'all know how bad I just want to keep going with that. (laughs) I'm hearing things again, Myrtle. (laughs) Once God called him to build the ark at 500 years old, it took him 100 years to build it. And then after he built it, he lived another 350 years. I know it was different back then than it is now, The Sin curse had not had its full uh, impact. We could go into a lot of reasons why they lived longer back then. Some of it's speculation. Probably true, though. Now, in relation to our current lifespans, that would have been the equivalent of us being asked to build the ark around the age of 45 or 50. There's no retirement from the purposes of God. Now, I'm going to talk to my old people here today, and usually when we talk to old people, we're like, y'all are so sweet. We just love y'all. I'm about to rip y'all up right here. Just because you old don't mean you can't get preached to. And I'm about to preach to you here. Some of you folks who are older have quit on me. You've quit on me. And I want you to get back involved. See, I love this quote. We have to live a full life, our whole life, in order to achieve the purpose God put us on this earth for. You you can't quit. Let me me just get y'all to do something real quick. Take your two fingers and put them right there. Do you feel a pulse? Because if you don't, uh, we need to rescue people in here. If you got a pulse, you got a purpose. You say, well, I visited somebody at Kitty Askins yesterday, and they don't even know they're in the world. If they're alive, there's a reason. If God hadn't taken them home yet, God's doing something. Hey, let me give you all a newsflash. When God's doing something, he's not required to notify us. God's doing stuff all around you every day you can't see. you got to be real careful about getting discouraged and throwing up your hands and quitting when you don't see the evidence you want to see in things. Because sometimes God's doing stuff we can't see. And, and down the road, the fruition, the fruit the manifestation of the work he's been doing that we can't see will, will reveal itself. And you'll say, he was doing stuff all the time. 
Hey, don't believe that just when you see the evidence. Believe it right now. Everybody repeat this after me. I'm praying about some stuff. I don't see any evidence that God's doing anything. But I know that he is. And I can't wait to see the result. Come on now. Come on, man. What kind of faith does it take if you've got to see evidence for everything? Get up out of that discouragement this morning and say, God's doing something. I can't see it, but I know he is. So there's no retirement. You Listen, you older people, we need you. You're... And when I walk up and I see all these young people and teenagers and young couples like me, you know, when I see them and they're serving, I'm like, hey, that was, I wasn't making a joke. What in the world? And I see them serving. It blesses my heart. But I got to tell you something, man. When I see, when I see my white hair people out there, when I see my folks who have got character in their face because they got a few wrinkles up in there, and they smile, that big old smile. And they serve, and they're happy. And now I look over here at some young person, and they just dragging that bottom lip on the ground. My mom used to tell me that. My mom used to tell me, if you don't get that lip up off the ground, you'll step on it and fall over. <laughs> Whoever heard that right there? Yeah, y'all heard that. You know, we got Christians who literally, they look like they could eat peas out of the bottom of a quart jar. I mean, their face is just... <laughs> Long swinging. Looked like they got baptized in vinegar instead of water. I'm thankful. Here's the deal. I'm thankful for my older folks who are serving, and I'm challenging my older folks who aren't serving to come on, man, get in. Get in. Because let me tell you something about older people. You can touch people the rest of us can't touch. I just threw myself in there with the young people again. Let Let me put it. We older people... We older people can have an impact that younger couples can't have. I mean, when we say something, people say, you know what, he's probably been there. She's probably been there. They've probably gone through that. So our words carry weight. Don't let the enemy make you think your ministry's over, your time's over. What would have happened if men and women in the Bible had accepted retirement at the typical age? Well, here's some things that would have happened. Noah would have never built the ark. Abraham and Sarah would have never had Isaac. Moses would never have delivered the people from Egypt. Joshua would would never have led them into the promised land of Canaan. Caleb would never have possessed his mountain. Simeon would never have seen the baby Jesus. Paul would not have made his second or third missionary journey if he had given up. When people usually retire... These people didn't retire, and look at the great things they did. Look what the Bible says, and you're not going to find it on the screen, and I don't even think it's in your notes, but you can write this down in the margin, and I'm going to read it. I want you to listen. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. Now, if you want to look it up in your Bible or on your phone or your, your tablet or whatever you got there, that's fine. If you don't want to do that yet, just listen. Just listen. Just listen. 
the uncompromisingly righteous. It's talking about older people here. The uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. And when you look those words up, it means be long-lived. They will live long. They will live stately, upright. Listen to this. Listen to this, older people. Useful and fruitful lives. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And when you do a word study there, it means they'll be in their latter years majestic and stable and durable and incorruptible. It says they'll be planted in the house of the Lord and they shall flourish in the courts of our God. Growing in grace, this is my favorite little phrase, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Amen, amen. I love this because Millie tells me all the time, they shall be full of sap. Now, when I read that, I thought, man, church is going to love that. Full of sap. And then I did a word study on that. Word sap, it means spiritual vitality. Spiritual vitality. And rich in the vendure, which sounds a lot like manure, but it's not, but it's not. And rich in the vendure, that word means vegetation or fruit of trust, love, and contentment. You're going to be rich in that. And then verse 15, they are living memorials. Isn't that beautiful? That's what you are, you older folks. We older folks, we're living memorials. Living memorials to show to those behind us that the Lord is upright and faithful to his promises. He is our rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Hey, listen, the job of older people is very important to the kingdom of God. If you've retired from ministry, check back in, baby. God ain't done with you. Number three. Number three, Noah told taught us that you've got to trust what God. Let's try it again. Noah taught us that you've got to trust what God, not your or. I'm sure that in the 100 years it took Noah to build the ark, he certainly experienced in that 100-year period days when his experience that he was going through didn't line up with the vision God gave him. (laughs) Somebody say hallelujah. I mean, when I came to Whitley Church across the road in that little brick church over there and God had put this vision in me of what he was going to do here if I would stay close to him and faithful and I've kind of wavered in that a little bit but he's been graceful and kind I got to tell you in the 24 year journey as a matter of fact June the 15th is that next Sunday that's 24 years I've been here next Sunday thank you So, so in the 24 years, there have been times that the experience I was going through didn't look like the vision he gave me when I first came in 1990. Are y'all with me? God will tell you to do something, and he will tell you that if you'll be faithful, you're going to get this in the end, but this process in here is... So you can't go by what you feel. You have to go by what God said back here. Because God don't lie. And God always keeps his promises. 
I mean, it got so bad and I got so discouraged. One time I left and went and pastored another church. And somebody came here and it didn't work out for them. They were here just a few weeks. And uh, the church board called me and said, hey, our pastor left. And we wondered if you'd come back. I mean, I know you've only been at your church a couple months, but would you come back? I said, man, I can't meet with you all till tomorrow. Because Muddy, I was ready to come back home. I missed it. I missed God's will. And it was miraculous how I left and was not the pastor of this church for about four months. And God said, all right, stupid. I'm going to help you get back where you need to be. And God worked it out um, in a miraculous way. Because I started looking at what I was experiencing and not thinking about what God had said. Does that make sense? Somebody needs that today. I hope you get that. Now, um, I got to think Noah would have been discouraged a majority of that time had he gone by his personal feelings. I think Noah would have said, uh, Noah would have said stuff like, Lord, could you just send a couple of drops of this rain thing to just encourage me? And make my call from you look legitimate to these mockers who laugh at me every day? I'm sure he felt that. I'm sure he was like, God, could you just like send a little shower? And God, you know what? God didn't even talk back to him. God didn't even say, you'll be fine. God didn't even say that. He just had to keep remembering what God said. Do you know it's okay for Christians to get discouraged? Do you know that? You can get discouraged. Can I just read you some scripture? How many of y'all know David in the Bible was a pretty good Christian? David was a pretty good Christian, y'all think? Let me read something he said in Psalm 13. Long enough, God. That's the first three words. I'm reading out of the message. Psalm 13. Long enough, God. Listen to this. You've ignored me long enough. See, y'all didn't even know you could say that to God without getting boom. And then God going, just blow. (laughs) David said, long enough, God, you've ignored me long enough. I love this. Listen, he said, I've looked at the back of your head long enough. So if if he felt like he was looking at the back of God's head, what did he think God had done to him? Turned his back on him. He said, I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Now, God, long enough I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Anybody know what I'm talking about right there? That knot. Long enough my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Hey, God, take a good look at me, God, my God. I want to look life in the eye so no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. And look what he says, and you see his heart getting tender. David was always like that. He'd start off fussing, and then by the end, he'd go, but there's nobody like you, God. Isn't it it awesome that God's okay with that? Because y'all'd be dead if he wasn't. Because y'all haven't maybe ever said this, but you've thought it a whole bunch of times. Look look what he says. Man, it's so awesome in verses 5 and 6. He says, God... I don't have any choice. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms.
When you're at that place in your life when everything's falling apart and no matter what you do, it keeps falling apart. That's what you do right there. He says, I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I haven't been rescued yet, but I'm going to go ahead and celebrate being rescued. Oh, man. That's some faith right there, folks. He says, I haven't been rescued yet. You haven't rescued me yet, but I'm going to just, because I know you, God. I know you. So I'm going to just go ahead and start saying, I've been rescued. Even though I haven't, because I know what you're going to do. He says, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. Now, sometimes you sing because you feel like it, and sometimes you sing so you won't kill nobody. (laughs) He says, God, I'm going to just sing. I mean, God, I don't have really, as far as from my perspective and my human, I don't have anything to sing about, but I know you. And I know who you are, and I know what you said, and I'm not going to go by my experiences. And God, I'm going to just go ahead and sing anyway. You say, well, sometimes I don't feel like singing. You know, when I think that way, I think maybe Jesus didn't really feel like taking that cross on his back. I mean, he probably didn't feel like, I mean, he probably woke up that morning and went, you know, I'm not really in the mood to do this. But I sure am glad he did it. And the less the very least we can do is walk in here on Sunday, and not just here on Sunday, but all during the week, get your worship on and sing your song when there's hell all around you. Because the Bible tells me that when I sing my song, Satan can't stay for two reasons. Number one, I'm a terrible singer. And number two, when you lift up the name of Jesus, he's got to go. And the Bible says not only does it make the enemy flee, but it says God dwells in the praises of his people. Sing your song. Some of you have lost your song. You need to get it back. He says, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. And I haven't got answered prayer yet, but God, I'm full of answered prayer. He's celebrating. He's praising. He's thanking God for stuff that hadn't happened yet. Look what Paul says to the church at Galatians 6, 9, and 10. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. How many of you know you can get fatigued doing good? He said, don't do that. In other words, don't get burned out. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't what? Give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance... Let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people close to us in the community of faith. Number four. Number four, here's what Noah teaches us. Whenever you follow and obey God, you will be misunderstood and just put it down. Put it down. If you, here's what I'm going to start doing. When you come to me and go, somebody, somebody just criticized me. They didn't understand what I was doing. They just criticized me. You know what I'm going to say back to you? Congratulations. Because that isn't a bad sign. That's a good sign. It don't feel good, but it means you did something right. A person is known by their praisers and they're known by their criticizers. 
And there's some people you don't want praising you because if they were, you'd be doing the wrong thing. And there's some people you don't want uh, criticizing you because if they were, you'd be doing the wrong thing. So if you're criticized by the right people and you're praised by the right people, then that's going to tell you that you're in your sweet spot serving and doing God's will. How many of you know people thought Noah was crazy? No doubt. And people are going to think you're crazy to put so much effort in your ark, whatever it is God's told you to build for him. They're going to think you're crazy and they don't see the need. And to them, it's a waste of time and energy and money and effort. But then you've got to remember, they didn't hear the voice of God the way you did, so you can't really be too hard on them because they didn't hear from God what you heard. Y'all with me? So it's really, really important. So what are you doing for God that makes no sense to the carnal mind? When you serve, look, 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 look. When God tells you to do something and you obey him and people start criticizing you who aren't walking with him, they're carnal-minded. And can I just say something about people with carnal minds? Most of them are not in church, but a whole bunch of them are in church. So you're going to get criticism when you do the will of God, even from people who are in the church. And that's hard to take because really they ought to understand. They ought to get it. But they don't sometimes. Um, people looked at what Noah was doing. They thought it was a waste, a waste of wood, a waste of work, a waste of time, a waste of money. Uh, the best illustration for this is, I think, in the Bible is the story of Mary and Martha. And when Jesus came to their house that day and Martha's in the kitchen cooking and Martha was cooking all the time in the Bible. Uh, a lot of times when you read, she's preparing the table. Praise God for those people. Amen. Come on, guys. Thank God for the women who can cook and the people who can serve. Uh, one great African-American pastor said, when Martha would cook, the scent of the food would make your tongue slap your brains out. <laughs> <sighs> and I, got, I just got a feeling that Martha was the kind of person that uh, just kept the house spotless. Y'all ever seen people like that? Every time you go in their house, it's spotless. I don't like people like that. I love you, but I don't like you. Because my house looks lived in, baby. Let me tell you. And uh, I believe Martha was the kind of person, if she hired somebody to come clean up her house, she'd get up two hours early before they got there and make sure it was clean enough for them, you know, straighten it up. Uh, if you went to spend the night with Martha and you got up in the middle of the, bed, middle of the night to go to the bathroom, she'd make your bed up while you were in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, she just had it together, baby. And then little Mary, where's Mary all the time in the Bible? Where's she all the time? Feet of Jesus. Got her chin in her hands, and one day Jesus is at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Lazarus used to be dead, and Jesus came, told him to come alive. He's alive again, so they're having a, a sort of a celebration of that, and Jesus is talking, and every time Jesus was talking, you know, all that Jesus said isn't recorded in the Bible. Now, John tells us that, that if everything Jesus said was recorded in the Bible, just wouldn't be enough uh, books to contain it all. So Jesus is talking, and Mary's sitting there, and she's got her chin in her hands, and she's listening to every word Jesus says, and all of a sudden she jumps up and runs to the back of the house. I'm just picturing this. This is how I see it. She pulls back a sash on a closet and reaches inside and gets out this beautiful box, takes it out, flips the lid open, gets out this beautiful bottle of Spikenard Chanel. 
number 23. I don't even know if they got a 23. I mean, this was expensive stuff. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us it was expensive. It was expensive. It says that it was worth about 300 pence. And back in that day, a person made about 300 pence a day. I mean, 300 pence a year um, or, or a pence a day, uh, which would have been 365. So it was almost a year's wages. And the Bible says she came. Y'all know this story? You know this story? The Bible says she came back to where Jesus was and she took the lid off and she said, Jesus, this is really, 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 really valuable stuff. And if you hold your hand out, I'm going to give you just a little bit. Is that what she did? What'd she do? She, yeah, but what'd she do with that container? She broke it. Jesus loves brokenness. Jesus loves brokenness, not hard-heartedness. And she broke it. You know why she broke it? Because she didn't want to save one drop for anybody else, including herself. She wanted him to have it all. And here's what that was. It was, an, it was an extravagant act of worship. Now, when you worship God in serving or you worship God in prayer or singing, or you just do something God told you to do that looks impossible and crazy to the world, you're going to get criticized. And the minute that she poured all that stuff on Jesus, now you talk about getting some talk going about the preacher, she let her hair down and used it like a towel and just mopped it all over him. Boy, there'd be some talk about Pastor Farrell, wouldn't they, if somebody did that? Um, but... Um, uh, she poured that on him, and the Bible says the fragrance filled the house. And Oh, there's so much preaching there about worship, and, and the fragrance filled the house. And Judas was there. Judas wasn't outside the church. He was, and she did this thing, and he totally missed it. He didn't know what in the world she did because he's so carnal-minded. He said, uh, I feel personally my personal opinion about this act. That's how self-righteous people talk. <laughs> Is that we could have sold this and give the money to the poor. And I love what John says. John said he didn't say that because he cared for the poor. He said it because he was a thief. Ah! <laughs> and so, so... So, you know, when you got a guy like Judas, he's one of the 12, so he's got some influence. So when he says that, dumb people, Christians, but dumb as a rock, and about that deep, heard him say that and went, amen, amen. Y'all know those people. Don't point. <laughs> amen, I'm telling you right now, if I thought the same thing, we could have sold that, give it to the building fund. We could have had a new fellowship hall. Because carnal minds are critical of spiritual acts. So before you open your mouth to criticize somebody who does something spiritual, you might be about to reveal where you are with God. So the best thing is, if you think somebody does something crazy, just ponder it in your heart. And if it was crazy, God will reveal it. Because I love this, man. I love this. 
because Jesus turned and I could see his piercing eyes look right into Judas. He said, let her alone. You self-righteous. Let her alone. What did Jesus say? She has wrought a good work on me. She's wrought a good work on me. He said, you don't even know what's going on. He said, I'm about to die on the cross. And they totally missed that. But he told them, he said, she has come to anoint my body for the burying. They didn't even get it. He told them right there, I'm going to die. They totally missed it. And you know what? It comes out true. Because when she's on the way later, after Jesus has been put in the tomb, and she's on the way to anoint his body after he's been buried, you know that's what they did? On the way there, they met this gardener that was actually an angel. And the angel said, hey, girls, where are y'all going? And they said, we're going to anoint the body of our Lord. He said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So, in the story I just told you, Mary was anointing the body of Jesus for the burying. I don't even think she knew that. She just knew it was something God told her to do, and she did it and didn't care what anybody thought. I love it. I love it. And I'm telling you right now, people are going to criticize you when you, do, when you obey God. Okay? Number five, this is it. We're done. And I wish I could preach on this 30 minutes because it needs to be preached on. There's a time of proving yourself before you launch out. There's a time of proving yourself before you launch out. And when you're going through that proving time, it is never easy. Never easy. Joseph rose to great power in the nation of Egypt, but before that, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was faithful to the Potiphar, but the Potiphar's wife accused him of molesting her, so the Potiphar threw him into jail. He's in jail of his, none of his doing. You can just read the life of Joseph. He had every reason in the world to throw up his hands and think God didn't love him or care about him and God wasn't protecting him, but he never considered that, and he rose to great power in Egypt, and his own brothers who sold him into slavery into slavery, in the end had to come before him. They thought he was dead and gone. They had to come before him, and they didn't even recognize him, but he recognized them, and they needed food, and he was able to bless the ones who sold him into slavery. He, in all the proving, he never gave up. Moses was in the backside of the desert. How long? 40 years before God released him to go and make that movie about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> David was a shepherd boy. I mean, David, you know, David was getting good with that slingshot when nobody was looking. See, you've got to do the right things when nobody's looking. Because you can't wait to get to that place where you got an audience and you're going to be good at something. you got to get good at it when nobody's pushing and nobody's encouraging and nobody's there to say, come on, man. you got to be able to do that when nobody's with you. When you're, That's what makes awesome men and women of God. When you do the right thing in the dark, because he did the right thing in the dark, when he got in front of Goliath, he was ready. 
because he had been practicing with that sling. He could knock a gnat off a pile of grits 500 feet away in heavy fog. I know that for a fact. Samaritans 412. But the way you're good in public is to be good when nobody's looking. Proving. Let me just say this. Some of you are really frustrated because you got this call of God on your heart and you are ready for the big time. You're ready for the lights. You're ready for the pats on. You're ready for the big time. And God hadn't released you yet. And you're getting upset. You're getting mad. You're getting upset. Because you're awesome and not enough people know it. And God, you know what? The longer your attitude's like that, the longer you're going to be in that spot. The minute that you don't care about all that and you're like, God, don't release me till you're finished with me. Don't release me. Don't put me out there, God, until I'm ready. I'll take this time of proving. That's hard stuff. Because our nature wants the glory, buddy. We want the, we, want the, we want the Goliath thing. We want it right now. Look, it takes some time when nobody's looking for you to be good in front of Goliath. He's too big. He's too big to hit. David said, no, baby, he's too big to miss. I'm about to drop him like a bad habit. And he did. Let the word of God be in us today, O oh Lord. Let these lessons be in us. And God, if there's somebody here today who does not know you, our prayer team, guys, if you would just come on right now, all our prayer team, we're going to dismiss this service. If there's somebody who doesn't know you, if there's somebody who wants prayer, I hope they'll come. Let the prayer team pray over them. Staff members that are available, come and let's pray with the people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Now, before you go, hold on one second. If you're a first-time guest, you got your card, you got your guest card, we got a gift for you on your way out. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible for you right over here. It's right behind that cameraman on the, on the wall where it says, Belong, Commit, Grow, Serve. Somebody will meet you over there. We're so glad you guys came to church today. We love you. God bless you. Thank you.